Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Hold My Dream, where we navigate the news and politics with a chaser of civility. I'm your host, Jen, inviting you to grab your favorite beverage, sit back, and imagine with us how to create a new American identity together. Welcome to this week's Hold My Drink and Counterweight podcast with my co-host, David Bernstein. Today, we have Laura Becker with us. And Laura is going to has a story of her transition, and that's what we're here to talk about. But first, Laura, I know you have a drink. What did you bring to the table? Uh, just a Stella Artois beer. Nice. Happy to be a, in the fridge. Happen, I haven't had a Stella in a long time. Good choice. <laughs> David, you? You know how we we recorded earlier today, which is this is a twofer, and I had scotch. I had literally two sips of my scotch er, from earlier, so now I'm um, I'm back to that scotch. But now actually, this is the end of the day, so so now I'm, you I'm might actually really drink it. it. I'm going to drink it. David, uh, Laura, he 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 sometimes will just he he appeases me because I'm like, okay, let's have drinks, you know. <laughs> <It's> like, <Right. laughs> so we pour some scotch. I actually do. It's, it it looks like water, but it's not. I'm doing a sparkling, a watermelon sparkling seltzer today. So mm. there we go. Nice. Um, so Laura, we are here really just to to hear and to learn from you. We know that you um, transition to man and you detransition back again. So just start out there. I mean, start from the beginning. Tell us your story. We were, we're listening. Okay. Well, so I was always a, if I'm starting from the very, very beginning, the, um, I've always been extremely gender nonconforming and just nonconforming in general. Um, as a kid, I always was very out of place and out of step and out of sync with my peers and everybody around me. Now, I was diagnosed with being on the autism spectrum when I was 11, so that probably explains it, um, but I never really got any help for that or even really understood what that meant. Um, I just kind of internalized that as like, oh, I'm the messed up one. I don't feel that way. I feel like everyone else is an idiot, like, you know, but apparently I'm the I'm the wrong one here, but also around that time, I started experiencing some uh, emotional and verbal abuse that chronically led to having uh, PTSD, but that was undiagnosed um, for most of my life until I was 22. So I got into the bullshit very early. Um, I was about 11 when I started becoming severely depressed and anxious and having a lot of social anxiety and I already had social problems because I was just kind of different and it was hard for me to fit in. Uh, and I became increasingly gender nonconforming because that's just what I felt comfortable as. But it, w- it got really bad um, pretty quickly. And then by the time I was 14, I was having like suicidal thoughts and not feeling safe, kind of like in my own mind, like I didn't want to be alone, just, uh, you know, really struggling. I became an atheist, like just became very, I started having suicidal ideation and like self-harming ideation at around 14. And then I was 15. I, it started to get a little better because I started uh, smoking a lot of weed and drinking. uh, (laughs) And uh, that kind of helped me ease my social anxiety and make a lot of friends. And that's when I started to kind of blossom um, into my, I guess, like self that was being stunted, um, by the depression. So I became my very like funky, flamboyant, artistic self. I mean, I always was, but you know, this was, I felt more free to do so. So I started really experimenting with more with fashion and gender and, you know, my hairstyle and things like that. Um, And that's when I started learning about gender identities, um, where else on tumblr.com. And um, as I learned about the concept of gender queer, and I thought that was perfect for me because I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm not gay. Like people kind of questioned if I was a lesbian, and I was like, unfortunately, no. Uh, so far, straight. But I felt very, very. I just was an oddball. I was very uh, funky, as I say. That's my whole thing is funky. Um, but you know, I was just kind of off. And so the gender queer, I was like, yeah, why not? Like I'm queer in every way, including gender. 
And I was very flamboyant and very expressive. And um, my gender identity, well, my expression was leaning very much towards like gay masculine in a way, like just like the stereotype of a gay man, like just very gaudy, very theatrical, because I'm an artist. So I was just wearing the craziest bullshit, like from Goodwill, you know, which is great. It's fun. I still do that. But, you know, it wasn't... um, it wasn't grounded in a place of self-love because like, even though my social life started to get better around that time, when I became more aware of things as from the weed and everything as well, all of the unresolved trauma of the previous like six years um, also came up more. And so I was increasingly depressed and suicidal and self-hating, but I was kind of, you know, growing up and kind of having my you know, adolescent awakening and, you know, just going through all the normal stuff, but with like the undiagnosed PTSD and the autism um, that I still was kind of like, nah, I'm not autistic. Like, fuck that. I, I'm not gonna, you know, identify as autistic. Um, So it was really bad. I was hospitalized for the first time and um, tried many different pills, uh, antidepressants. They never really did anything. Um, And so I just kept using, you know, various like recreational pills and drugs and it was fun but uh it wasn't really healthy and my self-worth was terrible um so I was really I what I wanted most was um like uh you know like a boyfriend um and kind of this love and I had a lot of attachment problems as you could imagine from peers and family and including, you know, the sexual and romantic passionate side of things. So I fixated mostly on being alone, you know, alone, like just with a capital A, like I'm so desperately alone and, you know, I need to like have sex and I need to, you know, involve in this passionate, like romantic love that, you know, I really like, but I'm like way too ugly and I'm way too like worthless and I'm never going to, you know, achieve that. And I'm too like masculine. I'm too, I'm just not attractive as a woman, like a straight man is not going to ever like me. And in my perspective at the time, I guess there's some rationale to that because I was not exactly, you know, the most palatable person for like a high school boy, let's say to like, Um, I was very butch and also just very, you know, quirky and but I also, I wasn't really taking care of myself that well, you know, like showering and, you know, just, just putting effort into my appearance in, in certain ways get consistently. Um, and I struggled with like weight and stuff. So, you know, there was a lot going on, um, but I just kept fixating on the, uh, the body and, you know, presenting to other people, like what are, what are they um, thinking? So I was hypercritical of myself. But I also was aware that other people did view me as like the weird girl or the girl who doesn't shower and stuff like that. So, you know, in the, at least in the recent past, like I got a little better, you know, as time went on, but like it was, it was pretty bad. So um, that's around the time that I was, you know, getting into the, the genderqueer stuff. And that's when I started becoming really close friends with um, several gay men that didn't know they were gay. Um, they, you know, were going through their own identity, sexuality, um, evolution. And so we all got along really well. I called us like the queer stoners, like, you know, you just smoked a lot of weed and messed around, you know, just had fun. But um, I ended up falling like deeply in love with three of them, three different ones. Um, and all of them turned out to be gay. So for me, that was just, hell like it it just couldn't get any worse because they were just incapable of loving me but me being so insecure and you know all this I really blamed myself for it and of course what is like the catalyst of the main thing to blame was like my body like being a female the very thing that I had never wanted to begin with like I went through puberty when I was about nine or ten like I didn't want that I was not ready for that I really, really didn't want that. Um, And my breasts were very large and I had PCOS. 
So um, I had irregular periods and it was just like, I never wanted this. I, I did not ask for this. Can I return all of this? And I'm really horny. So can I like, th- it's just not a good combination. So I started being like, it would just make, it would make a lot more sense if I was actually a gay man. And it's not that that's not true. It is true. Like it, it could make more sense. I might have been more successful in certain ways. I, I can't really say it's hypothetical, but my personality, the kind of artistry, the the sexuality, all of that stuff, you know, if it was just packaged in a way that, you know, was a gay man versus like a straight woman, maybe my life would be better. It would make more sense because it's really difficult to be like an autistic weird girl who doesn't have any friends, who's like, you know, has like PTSD and is like a hopeless romantic, but they can't, like, they keep being in love with gay men. So like, they, you know, so it's just, it, it's like, for real, I was legit. Like, yeah, it sucked. Like, I didn't want to be me. It makes sense. But, you know, I started thinking like more and more and more ruminating on my body and physical sex and being around these gay guys. Um, you know, they were all like, you're a faggot, like in an affectionate way, you know, and they would be like, you're gayer than us. And like, we were talking about grinder and like all this stuff. And I was the horniest one of all of them. So I was like, yeah, you know, but there, there was a level of, you know, detachment, obviously, because we didn't have the same experience, even though we were all sexually attracted to men, their experience of male attraction was quite different than mine. And I guess in their undeveloped ways, you know, um, cause we were about 16 or 17. So we were pretty immature about it all. Um, and I just couldn't handle the fact that I would have these gay male friends that they would cuddle with me. They would hold my hand, but they just wouldn't kiss me. They wouldn't like, they just didn't have the passion element. And I have like an excess amount of passion. So I, it, it just, I couldn't deal with it. And the suicidal thoughts just came really hard and I became extremely, extremely suicidal and hopeless. And it just all spiraled out of control when I was about 17. And that's when I started really having what you could call gender dysphoria. Now, obviously, like, I don't think it was gender dysphoria in the classical sense. Um, it was clearly like trauma, but um, that's, you know, what it was called in, you know, in, I guess, popular vernacular or whatever. Um, so I started wearing a binder, which I really liked because it kind of, because I always thought like my breasts, they didn't match my aesthetic because there I was wearing like almost exclusively men's clothes and had really short hair and kind of had this teenage boy look going on. Um, but the large breasts kind of were obtrusive. They didn't fit with that aesthetic. So when I was wearing the binder, I really liked that, um, But, you know, uh, by the time I was um, going to college, um, I was just completely hopeless. Like, I didn't even know if I was going to graduate high school. I was so suicidal. I wanted to drop out of school. Um, But I ended up finishing and going to college. But I just was kind of there. You know, I I didn't I wasn't really grounded in anything. All I could think about was like the unrequited loves and all I was doing every day. I was just crying and being suicidal and um, jerking off (laughs) to people that didn't give a shit about me, you know, how it goes. But like, um, so that's when I started identifying as trans, of course, um, as I've been debating about for a few years, that's when I was like, I'll take the plunge. I don't want to, but I'll take the plunge and identify as trans because I don't know what else to do. And I, I, these antidepressants have never helped. I've been hospitalized multiple times. They don't have much to say to me there. Um, I have no idea what to do. And I was seeing a therapist that I did like, but she basically was like, I don't know. I don't understand the gender stuff. So maybe uh, you should find somebody else. Um, And I tried to find a gender specialist. Um, I found one clinic, but the therapist wasn't very good. And she ended up just kind of ghosting me one day. I don't really know what happened to her. Um, but one day she just never texted me back and I never heard from her ever again. So after that, I was like, okay. So I was kind of bouncing around from person to person. Um, and I could tell none of them were, none of them had the level that I needed. Now, in terms of level, I mean, I guess I kind of mean like giving a fuck or like having I don't know, being engaged in the process as much as I needed. 
but none of them were helpful to me. And I got the sense that they were just sitting there and they, that my issues, they just, they didn't seem to understand. And so the only thing they ever had to really say was like, oh, you're trans. Okay. That's valid. You know, like they were, they just weren't, they just weren't good quality um, counselors. And I could sense that. So I kept not going back to them and being like, I'll try to find someone else, but I never really did find somebody else. Um, And by the time I was 20, it was, you know, two years worse than it was before. So I um, uh, went to an informed consent clinic and I got a free prescription of testosterone. And then I uh, injected testosterone uh, for seven months. And right after I started testosterone, I had another suicidal fun episode and went to the hospital again for the third time. And um, that's when I kind of came out and I was just like, you know what, like, the world has been so shitty to me. Like, I don't care anymore. Like, I really don't care. I'm going to adopt an attitude of, I guess, sorry, just being reckless. Like, um, so it's kind of like reckless, but also I looked at it as like taking control back. I was like, I'm going to actually do something. So for that, for me, that was, that meant, um, like getting top surgery, (laughs) getting a mastectomy. Cause I was like, I need to do something. I've been, ruminating for too long. I, I can't have this go on. I'm, I'm going to take back control. And testosterone gave me the energy, unfortunately, to actually do that, as well as doing a lot of other really like reckless, um, dangerous and unhealthy behaviors. Um, so it got really, it got worse with the testosterone, even though it was only on for seven months. And the surgeon told me that I could, uh, that I needed to go off of tea, testosterone for the surgery which I was not happy about. He also said, you have to stop smoking weed. And I was like, not happy about that either. And that's, I think it's funny. I mean, it's sad, but it's funny. Like that was my priority at the time. That's how like out of it I was. And just it kind of immediate gratification that the fact that the thing that I was most concerned about in discussing things with him was like, really, like I have to stop smoking weed. Like that was the, I was really in a bad emotional state. Um, But Um, I had the surgery when I was 20 and after the surgery, like the procedure went fine. Um, There wasn't any complications, but I didn't, I just felt the same. I felt the exact same. And around that time, again, I was really out of control. So I was being like kind of an asshole to my friends. And so all of my friends ended up just abandoning me basically. So I had no social circle at all. Um, right after the surgery, which was not ideal. So I kind of took my focus away from the gender and transition stuff and just to like that trauma because it was that was more pressing. And so I was like, well, I'll go back on testosterone when I feel more emotionally stable. Of course, that never actually occurred. <laughs> you know, I didn't. So I, um, or I did get more emotionally stable, but when I did, and I realized that I probably should, you know, that's when I detransitioned. <laughs> so I never did go back on testosterone like I planned. Um, and it was kind of a process of, I call it like resting. Like I was resting for maybe a year or two, just really taking it easy, like cooling off on all the drugs and basically doing anything. That's when I laid around and got like sort of obese because I was just like not doing anything to try and just kind of rest after like all of those events had happened for the past 10 years. So um, I kind of just chilled out, kind of processed some things. And then I got a psychological evaluation that diagnosed me with having PTSD when I was 22. And that's when I was like, okay, yeah, so that's, that's the special thing that's that, you know, was actually going on this whole time. Um, So I started the healing journey, I suppose, more like and processing that and the, the autism and, um, you know, kind of grounding myself more. And I also started getting into radical feminist um, materials online because uh, I was always somewhat gender critical. Uh, I was just really irrational, um, but I was pretty I was fairly gender critical. Um, and then I started reading stuff about detransition and the trauma. And I was like, oh, so that's me. I'm reading about myself right now. That's exactly what's going on. And then I got connected with other detrans women and um, felt finally a sense of belonging in my life. Cause I like, 
you know, now I'm in the, the trauma fandom. Um, but the detransition women, they were so similar to me in ways I'd never seen. So I finally started having female solidarity, which is really, really important because I was so focused on men in like this really lustful kind of external validation way and never about like female solidarity or solidarity and grounding in my own body, which that's what I started to do is really just grounding my, in my own body, practicing radical self-acceptance and um, mindfulness and just like fairly basic cognitive behavioral therapy stuff that for some reason had eluded me up until that point. Um, and then I detransitioned and um, it's been about two, two and a half or three years now. And I've just been doing kind of a rapid amount of, of healing, just kind of getting all my shit in order, getting a proper therapist that's very helpful um, and, and really getting to the root of my traumas and focusing on the PTSD, the CPTSD, um, uh, the complex PTSD uh, from the childhood stuff. And kind of just getting back to my inner child and then working my way back. And now I'm here. And now I need to take a drink of this beer. <laughs> take a sip. Yeah, take a few. Mm. Um, so that's the rundown. Laura, Laura, I have a question for you. That's a fascinating and, you know, and somewhat, you know, sad story that you, you went through all that to be back in your own comfortable sense of self. Um did do you feel there's this there's a lot of talk that that a lot of the gender transitions taking place today are part of sort of a social contagion you know young particularly young girls who are who see it and get attracted to it and and you know the numbers are something like a thousand percent increase in the number of young people transitioning in the past few years do you feel in any way that that a is that true in general and do you believe it specifically um, was a factor for you that, that you saw a lot of other people doing and thought, okay, I'll do this too? Um, I do absolutely believe that the social contagion is a huge factor for the cohort of young girls um, and even boys, uh, mostly the girls though, um, especially online. Um, for me, it was a little more complicated because I was so socially isolated that I never really had a trans friend group or really felt supported or loved by the trans community, um, even online. So I didn't really have that social aspect of it, but there was still some social contagion because, I mean, Tumblr itself is just a factory for um, <laughs> unhealthy coping mechanisms. Um, but so I did see, you know, posts about it online and that sort of material. Um, you know, and I was introduced to it in that way. Um, but it wasn't as personal for me. I kind of, quest I was questioning it already. Um, just my whole life, I was kind of like that. So it wasn't exactly the same as the kind of rapid onset gender dysphoria girls that just go on Tumblr or their friend group does it. And then they suddenly like jumpstart into all this. Like I was already, you know, like if that stuff, it, it didn't really matter what age or how I was introduced to it. I think if I would have been introduced to the concept at any time in my life, I probably would have related to it just because I was so felt such like an alien and I didn't relate to men or women. Um, but I definitely saw the social contagion happening and I definitely see it happening a lot, it, like um, exponentially now for other people. Do you, do you regard yourself as gender dysphoric? Did, would you have described yourself and that way, if even if you weren't aware of the term at the time, would you have said, "Oh, that's what I, that I was"? Were you were you suffering from that condition that so many young people who go through this suffer from? You mean if I hadn't known about the term, would I have? And someone told me like that's what this is called. I probably would have said yes, but I think it would have been an ignorant answer because what this is was like an amalgamation of like all the chaos, like the depression, anxiety, the trauma, the self-hate. Um, so I would have definitely labeled it as gender dysphoria. And I did label it as that. Um, and now I don't, I don't have any gender dysphoria and I haven't had any gender dysphoria since I detransitioned. Um, and, um, you know, gender is still kind of a, a bit of a nuisance to me in some ways. 
Um, I'll say that's annoying. Um, you know, dealing with any social norm isn't, well, dealing with any social norm isn't obnoxious. And for me, like not having breasts, that's kind of a, like, it's hard to sexually signal, let's say. Um, And I'm already sort of, you know, not performing a lot of femininity rituals. And so whenever I do, like, I very rarely have put on makeup or done something, wear like even women's clothes, like, like more feminine types of clothing. I do have a weird feeling um, that in the past I might've called gender dysphoria. Now I just call it like, it's just weird to see myself wearing clothes I've never worn before. And I'm insecure about it because I've never seen myself as a feminine girl and I feel insecure about my appearance. Um, so it's annoying in that, like, I, I don't want to have to sexually signal like that in order to, I guess, find, you know, a mate. Um, but I feel pressure to do it. Um, but I'm still not really doing it because I don't, I'm not, I'm taking a long break from dating anyway. But just like the breasts, I mean, that's kind of goes beyond um, like social signaling. That's kind of a physiological thing. Um, but that's definitely part of it when you try to wear, like, I cannot wear certain clothing. Like, like if I do want to be really feminine and like slutty just for a day or whatever, going out to a club or whatever, which I tried this summer, it was okay. It was, I didn't like it, but you know, I can't exactly do that um, because I don't have like anything there. But, and then if I wear certain cuts, like the scars are really visible. So like, that's kind of what I'm talking about in terms of gender being kind of annoying. Um, and then also it's annoying because everyone like assumes that I'm non-binary and stuff. And I'm just like, no, like I, I, I'm not non-binary. I don't believe in non-binary um, or people. I just don't like being assumed that I'm a lesbian or non-binary or part of any sort of the gendery bullshit. Like, no, I'm just a female, a straight female at that. And it, so it just, people overcomplicate what I'm doing, which mm-hmm. is just, you know, being, just being an artist and basically, like, I don't like that. So I find that really obnoxious. Yeah. Hey, I've got a question. Um, would you consider breast reconstruction? Would that be a part of making you feel you know, more comfortable in where you're at now? Or, or are you, are you just kind of like over it? Whatever. I don't. Um, I mean, I have thought a little about it. I, I don't think I probably will um, because I feel like I dodged a bullet having the surgery without any complications. And I I think it would still feel artificial to me now that I'm just so I'm very much into um, like reality. I'm very much into like tangible, real, organic matter. And like, you know, so I think having like just some kind of implants or something aesthetically, they might be able to look normal, but. I don't think it would feel correct. And I, I, I wouldn't want to undergo another procedure. I also don't trust doctors uh, and things after this. Um, and I don't think that it's necessary to do. Um, I think it would just feel too artificial to me and it would feel too fake. And after like having gone through an identity crisis like that, yeah. I, I just cannot, I cannot be fake whatsoever. I'm just, I'm very upfront about everything. Yeah. So so do you feel like a lot of it, though, too, is a lack of the proper mental health? And in, in, I mean, if you if there was a someone who would have been able to adequately address your PTSD, your autism, all these things, do you think that you would have gone down the same same path? I mean, was that something that was maybe necessary for you to recognize everything in a way? Um that was the number one thing. Like that was basically the entire, almost the entire thing is the lack of mental health treatment, um, which is why I um, speak out about it now and I'm writing essays about it and things. Um, yeah, I definitely had like a lot of compounding mental health issues that were very blatantly obvious. Um, I mean, I was like actively suicidal the day of the surgery and I told the surgeon that, and I was like, you know, telling, I was, I was telling everyone I was suicidal. Like I really wanted some help. And everyone would just say, like, I don't know how to help you or, you know, they didn't they just didn't. I don't know. They just didn't offer me like kind of the basic sort of love and compassion and understanding that 
was required, um, mm-hmm. you know, for quite some time. Now I am getting that from my therapist and like a variety of other sources and from myself. But I think if I had had the therapist I had now, I don't, definitely don't think I would have uh, ended up transitioning. Um, or at the most, I think I would have. Um, well, no, I don't think I would have ended up transitioning if I had gotten intervention um way earlier like maybe when I was like 11 or 12 like that would have been nice like because all the other stuff just happened because of the kind of core wounds um from childhood so all the other stuff like the drugs and the you know sexuality crisis and all that stuff would have still happened but it would have happened a lot less intensely and it wouldn't have been so delusional I'm wondering to what degree do you you know, you've obviously met some other people in similar situations, people transitioning. To what degree do you feel that this is part of a larger mental health crisis faced by society? Um, and, you know, and to what degree do you feel that this is just sort of your individual journey? Well, it's everyone's individual journey, but we're all human. So we all have the propensity for the same um flaws and characteristics and behaviors on on a spectrum of human behavior. So I think it's, I think it's absolutely a larger societal issue. Um, I'm definitely um, under the belief that um, I don't believe that I don't, I don't really believe in the true gender dysphoria. I don't believe in um, uh, like the true transsexual. I think that is a different type of person like the classical archetype of the transsexual versus like what we're seeing today. Um, I do believe that, I don't believe that transition is necessary. I don't believe that it's necessary for anybody. I don't think that you can be born in the wrong body. I don't think that it's healthy to transition. Um, Now there are some people who have done it successfully and they feel comfortable and I'm happy for those people that it worked out for them. Um, and I, I also don't believe in limiting an adult's freedom to pursue, you know, I guess, cosmetic surgery if they wanted it um, within reason, you know. Um, but I, I think it is, for the vast majority, I think it is mostly um, three things. Trauma of some kind, um, like sexuality crisis, um, and well, actually four things, attachment issues and a spiritual crisis. So I think um, if it wasn't just like an underlying mental health condition that was very obvious, like mine was, it's also a widespread epidemic of attachment problems and spiritual, like lack of spiritual fulfillment, um, because not just with gender, but with all of these mental health issues that are kind of on the rise um, with young people, they're not experiencing life in the same um, way developmentally that many other generations have. Um, they don't have as many peer supports. They don't um, have as many uh, positive attachments um, outside of their family, uh, like mentors or just kind of an out- outer worldview. And there is this kind of lack of identity, like a stable, solid identity. So a lot of that was sort of being fulfilled in the past by religious organizations or spiritual sort of movements. And I believe the gender identity movement is a spiritual movement to try and um, reach a higher self, to try and self-actualize and kind of reach this transcendence um, and almost like the born again narrative. Um, And again, it's different for every person. It's not a blanket statement of everyone's experience, Um, but I I do believe it's mental health related. And I think, um, again, it's mostly attachment problems too. Because if you think about a lot of the people that are identifying as trans, they either have attachment issues in being too attached to, uh, or not too attached, but unhealthily attached to their peer groups um, and getting external validation and the social contagion, or they're more like me and they're more autistic and kind of isolated and, um, feeling alienated from the rest of society. So then they have attachment problems to them or they've straight up experienced abuse or neglect or some kind of sexuality crisis. So then they have attachment problems um, in that way. 
and so I mean, I'm I I'm very into attachment theory. So like I I'm always talking about attachment problems in general, but I think it also applies to to the gender crisis as well. You said something out. If you can go back, that in the past there was more peer support. What do you think is the reason today that there is less of that peer support that you ascribe to kind of past generations? What what what's the cause for that? Um, the internet, basically, you know, um, yeah, the internet. So living, it's not that they're not interacting with their peers. I mean, there was always people in the past who were kind of introverted, kind of loners who didn't have peer support either. Mm -hmm. Um, but all those types of people, as well as just kind of regular, like more extroverted or more well-adjusted people, um, are going on the internet. So I think it's the internet's the catalyst, the digital culture, the social media culture, um, because it's it's giving, like it's filling some part of the void of attachment and friendship and relationships um, and sexuality and all and fulfillment and I guess um, creativity and stuff. But it's not, it's not, it's a detached level um, and it's kind of an almost unhuman um, level because Obviously, you know, we are animals. So we are, you know, with these creatures going on screens and being on phones all the time and not even seeing people's um, like body language and things like that. And even especially now, it's, it's way more obvious now with the masks and, you know, the social distancing. Like, I, I'm really sick of the masks. Like, I just want to see like your <laughs> so I can read your face and things like that. Like, how am I supposed to find a boyfriend if I can't even tell if you're like attractive or not? <laughs> you know, Um so I think, yeah, the internet, the digital, the digital world. Yeah. Why do you think that it seems to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems to be that this social contagion that David asked about earlier is more prevalent with females transitioning to males. Is that, is that, first of all, I guess the question is, is that true? And if it is true, why do you think it's more related? It's more specific to females transitioning to males than the other way around. I do think it's true. Um, I think that's the case because females, especially teenage girls have been known to be more social, right? Like there's the stereotype of the teenage girl. They're always gossiping. They're always with their friends. They're spreading rumors. It's just females are more focused in general on socialization. They're more interested in people and men are more interested in things. Uh, they're not as interested in people. And women are more um, agreeable, like trade agreeableness. So they are socializing. They're all kind of building each other up, having good, you know, solidarity, which is good. But they're also spreading disinformation because they're teenagers and young people who have a pretty narrow worldview. And they're spreading all this rhetoric within themselves and then being really validating about it because they're agreeableness traits. So they're all kind of you know, confirming and affirming each other and spreading all this hate. And then, you know, also then spreading all this gossip or kind of vitriol towards the out group, um, which would be anyone who questions their identity, you know, their parents or anyone online who, um, you know, opposes the gender ideology. Um, so I do think, I mean, it's just because of their female um, nature. And then again, they're also the type of girls that are online more the type of girls that are really intelligent, a lot of them are autistic or have ADHD or are just kind of, um, I guess what you would call gifted. They're very, very cerebral and intellectual. So they're talking a lot. They're posting a lot. They're coming up with creative memes and they're utilizing their intelligence for the purpose of spreading this stuff. And they get a lot of social fulfillment out of it and social points and affirmation and love and support, which is also what the boys are getting too. But the boys are they're not doing it as, as much as the girls. There's not as many of them. And the boys are doing it more in a context of um, a more overt sexuality versus the girls are doing it in a more um, romanticized version of sexuality. So they still talk about sex, but they talk about it more in terms of, you know, romance and relationships and, you know, fan fiction and kind of, you know, a more female typical approach to relationships. Okay, so having gone through this and then back again, what would be your advice to someone who's who's struggling right now and has has questions? I mean, I obviously we already said <laughs> you're finding the right 
mental health therapist is huge. I mean, I think, I feel like maybe it's because David and I, you know, we've got quite a few friends, um, you know, who have, have transitioned that, and one in particular, Xander, who is a therapist. So I mean, is it, I feel like this, it's more available now, maybe than a few years ago when you were going through this, or do you think that it, there's still a dearth of the proper care? Or maybe even now, some people like what Xander might say, um, there's people now who are, are almost gone to the extreme on the other side of actually pushing you into transition. So I'm wondering like, what would you, what, uh, someone right now who, Yes, your age, 17 years old, when you started to really, if, if I got your timeline right, really have go into crisis, what would you say? I would say, yeah, apart from getting like a proper like therapist that's not gender affirmative, someone who's going to be more exploratory about all of your issues, I would say probably the number one thing is uh, radical acceptance, radical acceptance of self, of the past, of I guess reality, you know, and which is the hardest thing, um, obviously, you know, the accepting cognitive dissonance, looking for the truth, um, and being a little bit detached from your emotions um, and letting go of the shame and everything is is definitely it's a grueling and long process. Um, but you need self you need self acceptance in order to reach self forgiveness, and then to reach self love. And once you reach self love, then you can start to reach like the self-actualization, um, a self-fulfillment. And again, not just with self, even though I think it's mostly to do with self for these trans people, but, um, you know, acceptance of other things, like acceptance of other people's behavior. And then you can start to sort of forgive the behavior, or at least have a rational view. Like if you've been abused or, I don't know, someone breaks up with you or someone says something rude to you online, like, you know, just having more of an internal locus of control. I mean, again, just like kind of basic, CBT um, concepts, I guess, but although radical acceptance is and mindfulness is more of a DBT concept, but uh, yeah, radical acceptance, self-forgiveness, self-love, grounding, physical grounding um, in reality. And then again, like uh, healthy, secure attachments to people that aren't just validating you or telling you whatever you want to hear, but um, compassionate, kind of close, intimate friendships and relationships and getting away from people like um insecure attachments or abusive relationships and then um trying to uh, i'd say creativity um i'm i'm an artist a writer musician photographer podcaster i do a lot of stuff i make a lot of stuff um so you don't have to make as much like stuff as that but like um just being creative in the sense of constructing a purpose, constructing a purpose that is outside of yourself, that that um, is not based around, um, I guess, the ego, but more about expression and more about um, helping other people or, you know, kind of higher goals, higher values, like truth and love and can even just be beauty. Like I make a lot of this abstract art you know, it doesn't necessarily mean or contribute anything to society, but it, it's just the value of exploring the mind. Um, but that's, but again, it's just all always, always, always comes back to the acceptance because you need to have a baseline of rational acceptance to be able to move forward into any of the other levels of like higher values. I think though, like what you said is so true, but it sounds to me like a lot of this, um, attachment issues i mean outside of you know, your, your traumatic experiences i mean that's being a teenager a lot of it is just like i mean you you self-actualization often comes you know if you're looking for it maybe quicker but it also comes with with, with maturity and with like you just kind of knowing who you are i mean none of, you're not supposed to know who you are when you're 15 years old <laughs> like, right i don't know anyone who did know who they were you know and so um I guess that's kind of one of the things that I worry about is people are automatically assuming if you don't know who you are, you haven't reached that, that self-actualization, you're having questions about gender because those are the questions that are mainstream right now, that you're automatically, a lot of therapists might just go, oh, well, I've got the answer, you know, and, and where they're just 
being normal teenagers and maybe with, and again, if, if later on they are like, no, I'm serious. I'm, I'm, I'm a man, I'm a woman. Great. But I think that almost there's this trend of almost being steered in that direction when a lot of it seems to me to be teenage issues. Yeah, that, no, am, it, absolutely. I, it's, it's adolescence, it's development, it's immaturity and naivete. Um, unlike what you said about, you know, you have to, all these people want to, these kids want to like fast track their fulfillment, you know, it's because mm-hmm. it's, but the fulfillment that they're, that they think that they're fast tracking is actually rather shallow. You know, it's very, like I said, the internet culture based, like it's very political. It's like base, basic labels, like what's your gender identity? What are your pronouns? What is your political affiliation? Who did you vote for? Like, do you hate this person? Do you support that person? You know, Black Lives Matter, like all that, like it's just slogans and pretty shallow um, labels of what identity is supposed to be. That's why like, I emphasize like the creativity, like doing something and not just ruminating all the time but doing something that and also doing something that doesn't involve like a mastectomy uh, for me you know um like I really needed to I don't know just take a walk or like start making art like the things that I eventually started doing but you know creating something like what is your identity like what do you do what do you contribute like what are your values are you a kind person are you a um someone who, who who's a good listener are you someone who um you know is a critical thinker you know do you I don't know make pottery are are you really good at writing like what do you actually do besides like having all these labels because I think traditionally that's what society has been more so based around like who you were was like literally your profession and that's I um you know and 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 that obviously has its limitations as well because if you're only like well, you know, career woman or like plumber, you know what I mean? Or like, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. artist even like, you know, anything can be too limiting if taken to an extreme, but also when you have too much freedom, then nothing means anything. So that's why like, you know, the postmodernist sort of era we're living in, I call myself like a post postmodernist artist and all that got to do it. But um, the postmodernism where you're deconstructing everything in order to attempt to obtain more freedom um it's gone a little too far now we've got too much everything is unregulated there's no boundaries and we're getting away from any traditional value like any even just saying the word traditional is like what are you like some conservative scum like and that's how I used to think too you know very you know naive kind of way but you know just just basic principles like what a man is or what a woman is or like biological sex actually is a thing like we don't we're trying to deconstruct everything so much that now it's become very nihilistic um and that's never good when a society like starts getting into this hedonistic like idealistic but nihilistic phase that's usually when you know some like pretty destructive you know uh i guess to total to to can I speak totalitarianism (laughs) or authoritarian, um, you know, or just, you know, something happens because people are getting then bored because they keep trying to push the limits more and more. Like how far are we going to push the label? How many people are going to be in the LGBTQ plus acronym at this point? Like it's just, it's just, everyone's in there now. Like just, it's all kink basically. Like, you know, it's too, it's gone. It's just gone too far in one direction. So now we got to kind of rein it back in, which is obviously all, you know, that's just human nature, like pushing, pushing the boundaries because we're very smart beings. So we need to, you know, find out what's that what's out there. But it goes a little, you know, it keeps it, you know, it's it's a balancing act and life is always a balancing act. So that's why I always like preach about the mindfulness thing, because it's like you have to be able to sit with everything at once without reacting too much to it. And being aware of all these moving pieces, which is, well, it can be hell if you are focusing on it in a negative way. I know that perfectly well. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll end on this because you, you just said something that I really found fascinating, fast track fulfillment. And I think that that goes and in, ties into a lot of things that you talked about, the Internet culture, you know, the, I mean, the instant gratification of that, where. Um, we're not, we're, we've become impatient. We've got this instant gratification. I mean, Amazon comes in two days, right? I mean, if you're struggling with something, you want it done immediately. And I've kind of got that personality too, where I just, you know, 
Come on, come on. So I think that there's just so many things at play. Um, yeah, so just, I, I feel, I, I don't discount that there are, I mean, you had said that you're not sure that there really is such a thing, I think, you know, as, as transsexual or transgender, whatever. Um, I know those two terms are not always used interchangeably, you know, which is another issue because we just play with the language and then you, know, you get, people get upset with you if, if you don't label, like you said, if you don't label right, then, you you know, I mean, it's, it's this labeling. Um, so I, anyways, I have no problem if, if, if people, you know, feel that way and, and, and go on with it. But I, what I think what my problem is more that just this fast, you, like you said it really well, fast track fulfillment. And there's this lack of critical thinking or deep thought that you mentioned, like the mindfulness that might, um, that if taken that path might turn people in different directions. And if it doesn't, great, do do you. But I feel like we're fast tracking things where we're not giving people the time to even kind of have that self-actualization that mm-hmm. you're, you're talking about. And, and it's so funny because we, in schools now, uh, SEL and social emotional learning and all this stuff is kind of like the buzzword. So it's like we we talk about self actualization. I mean, I think that that's kind of where this SEL and and all this is, and yet we're farther away from it than we were before. There's like a mismatch there. I think it's because, well, again, I think it's because it's too um, immediate. Like I said, the immediate gratification. It's too shallow. It's like oh, you know, this and that. Um, But again, it's like the traditional, I don't know, just like traditional values. Like I, like I'm not religious, I'm an atheist, but just any, like I've been having more of an appreciation for um, religion and the institutions of religion because I realized that they at least were attempting to have some sort of structure for all this chaos that's going on and give people some kind of like ground framework for, like moral values. Now it's, it's just a free, it's more of a free for all, at least online. You know, it's a godless place <laughs> to say that um, online because you know, it's just like in group or out group, right or wrong, black or white. It's very reactionary and emotional. There's not a lot of um, rational mind going on. Um, and people have been encouraged to explore their emotions so much, which is good. This whole thing, like open up, know your feelings, like that's good, but it, it there's a tr- cultural trend of just like shallow psychotherapy, just shallow clinical terms, shallow therapeutic language being you misused mm-hmm. by people that they don't actually understand or appreciate the concepts. Um, you know, it's just like hold space, you know, your trauma, like all that. It's like, no, like trauma is actually a real thing. It's not just a shitty event. It's like it's a different thing, and all this language is being misused um in a widespread way that allows people to. I guess, luxury of being emotional and overreactive and being, you know, really shitty online and having poor boundaries or whatever, they don't actually give them a framework or like healthy container for maintaining their emotions and rational thought. You know, in DBT, Mm -hmm. they call that wise mind when you have a balance of emotional mind and rational mind. And then the the two together are wise mind because you need both. Um, but it, there's no, there's no wise mind going on right now. There's, and because part of it is because these people are children and their brains are not fully developed. Like, again, I say I'm 24 and a half, almost 20, almost 25. And only in the past two years have I actually physiologically felt like more mature. And I really, really notice a difference. Part of that is obviously becoming more stable and stuff, not being suicidal, but just the prefrontal cortex, I, I'm really talking about that a lot now because I'm like, wow, it finally happened for me. I'm so glad because um, it really does help. And so we're, you know, all these people that are kind of leading the discussions are either adolescents or young people, probably 25 and under, or like, you know, well-intentioned like clinicians that are kind of leading this gender ideology and then being like if a child knows they're trans they're trans like you're not going to debate this even though it's like why we don't let a child or an adolescent like drive like you know car insurance rates for people my age are like insanely high because they're not good drivers like we're letting like I was 20 when I had like a mastectomy and I was like actively suicidal like why why was that allowed to happen I mean I just 
you know, it, it's just kind of the children are leading the discussion because people want to look towards like the innocence or wisdom of like adolescence, I guess. I, I don't really know why, maybe because of the nihilism, maybe because they're nostalgic. There's a ton of nostalgia um, in like the young, the millennials, like people who are in their thirties right now, really nostalgic for culture. And part of that was also the like commodification and the digital, the rise of the digital culture. Mm-hmm. Cause this is the very beginning of the, the, the internet age is the digital age. Like Gen Z is um, the very start of, of that sort of phenomenon. So it's just all happening really rapidly and um, very quick, very, yeah, like instantaneous. And it, it's very shallow and you need to be able to, and children like adolescents and young people are not able to have the gratitude or patience or appreciation. And I mean, even a lot of adults don't have that. Even a lot of, you know, people in their thirties and forties or fifties don't have that capacity. And it's, it's really, our brains are getting rewired um, to react to the dopamine hits of the, um, like the internet and the social media. So, you know, it's understandable, but we need to be mindful of that and then ground ourselves back in kind of more, a little bit more traditional just sense of how to function so we can actually function. I truly think that, you know, in whatever, 100, 200, 500 years from now, you know, we'll look back at this era much like we look back at the industrial revolution, the hunter gathering, you know, the farming, agricultural revolution. I mean, something has happened that's so fundamental that it is actually changing the way our society operates. And I think we're in the throes of that now, even though obviously computers and phones and whatnot have been around for several decades. But it's, I mean, that's nothing in, in, in the course of, of time. You know, several decades is nothing. And we're still learning, particularly people my age, you know, considerably older than you, how to like, I mean, how to navigate um, that. And and I, I, I guess in some ways I'm a little nostalgic myself and maybe it's just because I'm older and I remember the time before, you know, all this, but where you, you mentioned this before, like the body language and that empathy and that compassion, I feel was much more accessible back then because you, it, you, you it, because it was in your face, you know, and, and now everything's like flat, we're flattened. And I think that we'll, I, I'm optimistic some, sometimes <laughs> <laughs> that will work. Our, I mean, I think humans are, 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 are really, um, you know, ingenious and genuous. That's not the right word I wanted to use. I, I see I'm having my own language problem, but we're very um, innovative was the word. Sorry. I wanted to use in, adapting to new norms and new um, stressors. But uh, man, yeah, I mean, it's, I feel like I'm watching like this transition in real time, you know, and it's going in so many ways from, from, you know, gender issues to um, racial issues to war. I mean, larger issues of war. It's just, yeah, fascinating. That's no, it's, times. It's, it's it. It's it. Like I can't look away. You know, like yeah, I, yeah. I, I, like I. As much as sometimes I'm just like, ah, I need to just take a walk and just be in nature. Put like not listen to anything. I still find myself listening, like absorbing myself deeply in like podcasts and just constant media yeah. and like because I just it's just too interesting. Like I just want to learn yeah. about it all. And you know, sometimes you just need to take a break and um, ground yourself. Yeah, I want to be like Thoreau or something and just go like hide out in the woods for like, yes. I don't know. And then I wouldn't know what to do. I mean, I, sometimes now I have my phone in my hand and I'm doing something on it that's different than maybe what I would, nor- like a phone call or whatnot. And I'm like, where's my phone? Really? It's 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 in, like, it's like, it's like an attachment to me, you know? Right, right. So I, I say I want to do that and I mean it, I think, but it was like, I mean, I think it would be a detox. <laughs> <laughs> it would talks. be yeah it would be <laughs> it's really I mean I, I don't know like can society function I mean I look at like I live with my grandpa he's like 81 and he doesn't use a phone he doesn't use the internet he has like a landline phone that he doesn't even answer the calls like I'm just like and I wonder like can people function like can we actually function without this technology and then I look at him and I'm like I mean he seems to be pretty happy I mean yeah. but he's not like if he had to have any sort of job, 
you know, besides, I don't know, maybe farming, like just being a farmhand or which he, what, that's what he was when he worked. Um, you know, you would need to know how to send an email. <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah. I don't know. I really don't know. I, I it's just, it's, it's happening now. We can't stop it. We shouldn't try to stop the progress of technology, mm-hmm. but we have mm-hmm. to, we have to maintain it. We have to have some boundaries and, and right. stick to our values of like compassion and love yeah. and acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all, all things that we have to work through in this new revolution, you know, or yeah technology techno technological revolution i wonder what they'll call it when we're yeah. dead and gone anyways well laura it's been such a pleasure thank you for having a drink with me um i just loved hearing your story and you you are clearly you're still so young um and you're and you're and you're so grounded right now i was just um i learned a lot from you thank you well thank you i enjoyed the conversation and have an excuse to uh to drink a beer to drink a beer <laughs> yeah <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Hold My Drink. Like or subscribe to the show and check out the show notes for links to source material and to our website where you can find what each of us is reading every week. Different news with different views. If you have a topic that you would like us to explore, drop us a line. And join us next week as we say Hold My Drink and the conversation gets real.